You are listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, $10, or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This movie review also comes for subscribers at Time Lord level or above an uncut, unedited, longer video version of the review. Become a subscriber and check it out. Hi, everybody out there in One of Us world. This is Matt Foster. And I'm Trevor Teacher-Heo. You may have heard one, the other, or both of us on Screener Squad. Or maybe you heard neither of us. That's not helpful. You can atone if you've heard neither of us by listening to Screener Squad or by catching our show, the Nighthawks podcast. Oh, good save. Yeah, take a seat in the Nighthawks diner with us. Get ready to get to the granular grist of the movies we love. And sometimes the movies we like really hard. You can find us on Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and always at nighthawkspodcast.com. show Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. This is now in its second season, although it's weird to call it a season when the first season, 18 episodes, and this is eight. So it feels like more of like a half season or something. But like, why is Love, Death, and Robots exciting? Well, it's Tim Miller, Joshua Donan, David Fincher, and Jennifer Miller, who originally were going to be doing a heavy metal television show with like that branding, sort of based not so much on the movie, but on the a magazine, which is a series of very violent and sometimes quite thoughtful science fiction horror short form fiction eventually this ended up becoming this instead love death and robots on netflix the season one aired to much aplomb and much people talking about it back and forth what was your favorite what did you like what you didn't like but obviously a lot of money spent on the animation some of which was near photorealistic cg but 18 episodes was a little exhausting i'm here to say that i feel like First, full confession, I'm really not that huge a fan of the original heavy metal movie. Sorry, it's kind of gross. It's too, there's just a bunch of dumb booby jokes. Every time you're getting into the science fiction, it's something like, look at those titties. You know, like a character will literally say that. And you're like, oh, come on, movie. I think a robot said that too. This is a little more like, okay, we're taking this a little bit more seriously than heavy metal ever did. But I do like second... That less episodes, I felt like I had more time to process each one. And I really thought, unlike the first one, which was more like, look what we can do with the animation, this is more, although the animation is all fantastic here, mm-hmm. that this was more, a little more focused on the character and story elements in each short than the first season was. But I'm not the only person here. Joining me is Tessa, who is not a robot, or so she claims. Not a robot. Beep boop. But anyways, yeah, it was up. Harmony is kind of not saying for sure if she's a robot or not. She might be a robot. She might not be. I worked in customer service for too long, and they would always ask me if I was a real person, and I would always say, as far as I know. Also joining me is 0110110, who likes to be known in the local community as Elliot. (laughs) You still shortened it in the binary, but yeah, that's that's approximate. I, I did. That's true. I, it was the nickname in the yeah. binary. 
eight episodes. I don't feel like there's a way to talk about this on a whole and gauge this like you would an anthology film where it's like has a one single mindedness because each one is really its own totally separate thing of this. So we'll just go episode by episode and we'll start off with the first one, Automated Customer Service, which is adapted from a short story by the sci-fi author John Scalzi. He himself adapted the script for this one. This is from Atoll Studios. And this is one of the ones with a very exaggerated animation style. Everybody's faces are a little bit off, a little absurd and long and weird. And it's a retirement community in the future. Everything's filled with robots everywhere. But this woman has a vacuum bot and it starts malfunctioning and it turns into basically a Terminator killer robot. And I thought this was a great start to the show. First off, like a distinctive animation style that I don't know if any of you guys know local, once local artist Nathan Jensen, but it really reminded me of his style a lot. Really funny and cute. I mean, not anything wildly original, but... I like the dog. <laughs> just want to pet the floof. I'm such a loser now. Anytime there's a dog in anything, I'm just like, or a cat or something cute. Like, I'm like, oh, I was watching uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines and that fucking dog. I swear to God, like the biggest laughs that movie got from me every time it was the Who's goddamn the dog. dog. Bread. Bread pig. Bread pig. The comedy on that first episode reminded me of Portal, the mm. video game. Yeah. yeah, I found it kind of funny. The animation was so weird at first that I had to like push past that because the woman just looks kind of bizarre. Every single episode has really detailed textures, so all of the wrinkles on this bizarrely shaped face were a little off-putting. But um, yeah, it was funny. It reminded me of, I don't know if any of you have seen the short film Blinky. Same kind of concept. That one's more horror, but you know, same kind of killer robot inside the house kind of thing except for the character models this is actually kind of realistic looking yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're kind of grotesque and kind of that wally s future i say grotesque and they're like the best possible way like they're so exaggerated caricatures it, yeah like a caricature of a person it was like triplets of belleville kind of 3d <laughs> lots of lumps <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah Episode two is Ice, adapted from a uh, story by Rich Larson by Philip Gillott. This is from Passion Animation Studios. This is probably the most abstract looking of any of these, but it's not like surreal or anything. It's just kind of minimalist in style, I guess, sort of using work with shadows. And it's these two brothers who've moved with their family to an ice covered colony planet that sucks obviously and apparently almost everyone is genetically modified but the one kid the older brother has not been and it got the feeling his parents are like oh, well we're not going to do it by example I'm not sure why they chose to have the younger kid i almost feel like it's, it's an issue like he couldn't be they don't really go into it but that's how i kind of read it so the younger brother has friends older brother doesn't because not being modded is like not considered to be cool but he's like well i'm going out with you you're my younger brother he and his other modded friends go doing this race across the ice to sort of tempt and cause these giant whales like a frost whales to come through the ice to breathe that are kind of spectacular but way dangerous during this thing and it's a lot better for the modded guys because they can run super fast so you know the brother who can't run so fast is is taking his life in his hands here but ultimately this one is Kind of mildly sweet. I mean, I like the animation style as being the most different from everything else here. Most of the stuff we're seeing represented here is very stylized in a, a more realistic than not way. And this is the one that kind of is just going for a more impressionist style. It kind of remind me a little bit of Powerpuff Girls, the uh, gang green gang. <laughs> Gendy Tartofsky. Yeah. Mm. 
It definitely reminded me of some Gorillas music yes. videos. Powerpuff Girls or Samurai Jack. I think more Samurai Jack because those character designs are more angular. Also, the title of it is Ice and they're on an ice planet, but I'm pretty sure it's like a double entendre because a lot of people seem to be doing drugs on that planet. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> yeah. if you're super enhanced, might as well get super buzz. If you're on a frozen <laughs> colony industrial planet, what the fuck else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Episode three was called Pop Squad. This was based on a story by Paolo Bassiagalupi. I'm so sorry, wherever you are out there, but uh, yeah, I totally fucked up your name. And this is uh, adapted by Philip Gelat and then directed by Jennifer U. Nelson. Pop Squad is about a world, and this is one of those super hyper-realistic looking ones where everybody, they're going for photorealism as close as they can get. It's very Blade runner Except instead of the Blade Runners hunting android replicants, there's such an overpopulation problem that people have traded their rights to be able to procreate with drug immortality. So they just won't die unless something violently kills them. And any children found are literally executed by the police force, which is how this starts with the sort of like Rick Deckard who's murdering toddlers, which is not a strong way to feel any affection for this guy. I think this was, would have been more interesting if they had kind of said, okay, we kill them if they've reached a certain age, but before that, maybe we put them somewhere in like a freezer or something, because it's really distressing <laughs> seeing your guy you're supposed to root for like blow away a fucking toddler's yeah. holding a stuffed animal up to him. That one was distressing. Kind of hard to wrap your head around, for me anyways, the idea of no kids anywhere. It's like, well, I'm out of a job. <laughs> you know? Sounds like heaven. It was a really well done story, I think, how it progresses and how it kind of turns around a little bit. So I, I, I enjoyed that part of it. But, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like, just murdering children. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the child. Depends on the child. I mean. There's some children, they gotta go. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. He was going to be the next John Hammond. He was playing with that dinosaur toy, so. I'm just looking forward to living in the liberal utopia when there's like an annoying five-year-old and you go, well, technically he still is under the age we can abort him. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. That's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. I feel bad for laughing. (laughs) But no, I think the animation's terrific on this thing. The sense of detail and everything is great, but it is a very much like, what if Blade Runner was really upsetting and gross? (laughs) Okay. It was a really cool shot towards the end of like this cottage in front of a ruined city that I thought was just really loved that shot. All the detail to the backgrounds of this one were so cool. I love the, well, what if you could just take a pill and become immortal, but you agree to never have children? That's a, a great setup for, yeah, right? I'll Where do I sign up? You know, that's a great setup for a story, but it takes you out of it immediately by going, there's any culture that would go, no, it's okay to literally just right. blow the heads off of like toddlers. So like, I, mm. number four is Snow in the Desert, based on a story by Neil Asher, written for the screen by Philip Gillette, directed by a team of four people, actually, Leon Burrell, Dominique Boyden, Rooney Kuzura, and Maxime Luer follows this albino guy named Snow, really on the nose, yeah. <laughs> who's being hunted by bounty hunters because something to do with being an albino has given him a regenerative ability that makes him almost immortal. I mean, he can be killed, but the thing is, he can even lose limbs and shit, and as long as his heart doesn't stop, they'll grow back pretty damn quick. 
kind of Wolverine-y in that way. Deadpool. But something about his testicles, about his semen, that's literally what it says. I'm like, okay, like that's a weird kink, but okay, let's go with it. Yeah, I guess <laughs> they want his testicles because his genetic materials. Yeah. And they're like, okay, albinism is what makes him have that very uh, unique ability in this world. So they're all like, just get his balls. Which you think if they grow back anyway, he'd be like, I'll sell them to you. <laughs> Shit. Just keep selling them. <laughs> He ends up finding, like, help from someone who's like, why are you helping me? Who turns out to not indeed be human themselves. So why are they helping him? And I actually thought this was the one of all of these that had the most promise as, like, the beginning of something I'd like to keep watching right. what happens next. There's a lot of philosophical stuff that's like, wow, that's cool. Where would this go next? I, I really like this a lot. And it's also one of the photorealistic ones. I just thought the biggest problem with this one was that it wasn't longer. Yeah, I wanted more of the story. Could have been a full season or a movie yeah it's tied for the longest in the thing too and it's still you're like that's it i want more of that that was cool the next one is the 11 minute the tall grass no this is not yet another adaptation of joe hill's story this is joe lansdale's story which i don't know for sure but i'm going to take a wild guess and say predates joe hill's story probably since lansdale's been added a lot longer this has been adapted for the screen by philip gelat it's directed by simon otto and it's not entirely dissimilar if you've ever seen the, the Netflix movie, The Tall Grass, that his story was based on or read his story, but does something tiny differently. There's a train, it breaks down, the conductor's like, hey, it'll just take us a minute to get started again to this guy went outside to smoke, but don't wander off anywhere. Don't wander into the tall grass that surrounds it. Of course, what does he do? Wanders in the tall grass that surrounds. <laughs> he starts to get lost. He sees these lights and it turns out there's sort of these zombie ghouls that try and kill and attack him. And ultimately, in the end, I'm going, the biggest problem with this, despite the fact that it probably does predate the Joe Hill, is that Joe Hill's version of the story is considerably scarier and more interesting. Nothing against Lansdale. Just very simplistic and straightforward. Hills has got all these levels of like occult shit and ancient mythic histories and stuff. The creepiness of the grass itself trying to keep you in it. This one is just kind of there. And the animation's a little weird for me. It's almost like it's not rendered all the way. Like there's something really off-putting about the animation of that particular vignette. I liked it. I thought it was painterly. Maybe that's why it was off-putting. It was maybe a little blurred on the edges. The color palette kind of reminded me of like a Norman Rockwell painting. Mm -hmm. It kind of had that. And even the main character, Laird, I want to say his name was, the guy who mm -hmm. walked off in the grass to have a smoke. He even kind of looked like somebody being a Norman Rockwell painting, I think. I was thinking <laughs> H.P. Lovecraft. Everyone always mistakes those two for each other. Just <laughs> the other holding the turkey. <laughs> yeah. Except in the Lovecraft version, they're all wearing clan robes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the turkey has has tentacles yeah no, i didn't dislike this i just like i couldn't help but compare it to the other thing and i was like i just thought that was better next one is all through the house honestly this is the one i'm most likely to continue to watch and show other people because i have a tradition of christmas horror i like to put together christmas horror day like insane a of like shorts and things like that or a special christmas episodes from things that shouldn't have christmas episodes mm -hmm. on christmas day this will definitely be on my list here all through the house is uh based on a story from Joachim Hindermans, adapted by Philip Gillat, directed by Elliot Deer. This is a very short seven minutes, which is perfect for this sort of thing. And it couldn't be simpler, but it just made me laugh so hard with these two kids. Yeah, they want to catch Santa and they sneak downstairs only to find out Santa is this horrible fucking thing. <laughs> it's still Santa. It's still very much Santa. It's just horrific. <laughs> 
I laughed so hard. I was like, what if Santa was part of the Cthulhu mythos? But he's still Santa. He's a cryptid is, is, is absolutely a thing. <laughs> it was very like Pan's Labyrinth design. And also this is the only one out of the entire batch that's stop animation. Like most classic Christmas films are stop animation. And they even had a clip of one of them on the TV in the background. When I was first watching it, I was like, wow, those textures are amazing. <laughs> like the fuzz looks so real and oh my God. And then I looked into it a little bit and I was like, oh, stop animation. Shit, should know. <laughs> I really enjoyed this one. I thought that the, the creature design was really unique. The hands on the face, I was horrified and loved it. And I, you know I me, mean? I'm generally not a huge horror person, but I was just like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> I think the design, it kind of had almost like a horse skull face situation going on. There's some sort of, I don't know if it's in Finland or where it is, but there's a whole tradition, Norway, Norway yeah, yeah, where they have the horse or cow skull. And it comes wraps door to door. It's fucking terrifying. It's a real thing. And look it up. I forget what it's called. The Scandinavian countries may be the most peaceful, the most sort of liberal utopias in the whole world, but they have some fucked up mythology shit. Yeah, they're all scared straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. A lot of their television is like, oh, you know what their law and order is like? It's like, well, somebody's been killing people and eating them and leaving their bodies around Iceland and uh, we're going to go stare at their bodies and then muse about the impermanence of life while we do it. <laughs> and then play chess. <laughs> <laughs> the seventh one is based on a Harlan Ellison story called Life Hutch. Also adapted by Philip Gillette, directed by Alex Beattie. In terms of photorealism, I was staring at it like is this CG? Because it's the character is so realistic that I can honestly say it is the most realistic, mm -hmm. detailed human CG I've ever seen in my entire life. I was kind of blown away with what they did with that. But it's this pilot. There's some kind of battle going on in space and he crash lands on this planet that's kind of a shit planet. You know, not literally shit. It sucks. You wouldn't want to live there, is what I'm saying. And he locates a nearby shelter, and he's like, okay, shh, I barely made it in here in time for my life support went out. Everything activates. The maintenance robot, you know, I mean, he's a maintenance robot, but much like in the first episode of this season, he goes crazy and starts trying to kill him. And it's kind of like very brief. It's like 14 minutes of him. How do I get out of this situation and survive where obviously things are against me? And I mean, it's the second time we've seen the story just in a different setting in this collection. But I was so just wildly impressed with the animation. I'm almost forgetting what's going on because I'm just going, how the fuck did they do that? Michael B. Jordan's so sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> so dewy so dewy <laughs> he is the voice of the main character yes. that is true that's kind of his thing now is being dewy i think he figured that that's his whole <laughs> he perspires and we all go crazy yeah after creed it was just like just pour some water around him. <laughs> yeah. that's why his black panther battle was in the water you gotta oil them up first so the water beads. That's right. in his contract. Yeah. Must be oiled up before shooting. I just wanted a bottle of Evian. No, I don't need water on me. <laughs> Oops, did I spray that on you, Michael B. Jordan? <laughs> yeah, and why do you keep calling me Michael B. Jordan? Just Mike is Mike okay. Is no, okay, no, Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> I like this one, but it was definitely kind of one of the weaker ones. The way that the robot was reacting didn't make a lot of sense. Who builds a maintenance robot with that much shit that it can do? Well, when you really need a house clean, you're going to probably need surface to air missiles. <laughs> Have you seen my house, Chris? For those tough to reach places. <laughs> Just burn it to the ground. Yeah. It's easier. Go up, nuke it from orbit. It's the only <laughs> way to reach it. <laughs> 
Well, it's clean. All the dust bunnies are dead. They've been destroyed. <laughs> the last one is the drowned giant. Uh, I didn't realize as I was watching this, but unsurprisingly, based on a J.G. Ballard story, if you don't know J.G. Ballard, he is a, one of the oddest of all the science fiction writers, despite having done the very straightforward conventional war novel Empire of the Sun that Spielberg made a great adaptation out of. He's known for Crash, the David Cronenberg Crash, not the, the Academy Award winning one, uh, which is really fucking weird. And then Ben Wheatley did an adaptation of his book High Rise. He wrote weird books and very kind of sexual, but sometimes in a very clinical sort of way, often in a very clinical way. And The Drowned Giant is really kind of no exception as it starts with a giant skyscraper size, almost like eight story tall man has washed up on the shore. No one has any idea where he came from. There's never been any record of anything like this before. We see it all from the viewpoint of this academic who is there to take notes and watch what happens, which is a lot of people showing up and climbing on him and eventually just he becomes normal and slowly over the weeks he starts to decompose and rot and by the end he's just kind of been disseminated all over the city and ultimately not a lot actually happens in this it's more of a sort of thoughtful piece about impermanence that's just so bizarre the setup from the beginning that i found this absolutely fascinating also we're all gonna die someday <laughs> Coming from the previous one, that was a lot more, I think, going on. This is very, like, thinky, thoughty, intellectual. I know words. Shut up. I have it's words. very thinky, thoughty. <laughs> What's your job again? <laughs> I might be a robot. That's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> it was jarring for me, but it was really well animated, and it was an interesting lesson on how, you know, we might be shocked and dismayed, but ultimately, as humans, we just kind of adapt and, all right, this is what it is. Let's keep going. I like that part of it. I don't necessarily like the idea of just watching a giant body rot, but that's where we are. <laughs> it could have been a lot grosser, to be it fair. Could have been a lot I grosser. kept thinking of gross things they could do and didn't do. I thought it was going to go dark in a sense that the body was going to explode. All the gases. I thought, I was like, oh no. Yeah, this is just one of those kind of thoughtful pieces. It's not really plot driven. It's like, what if this happened and nothing else? And the fact that people just kind of rolled with it. People get used to almost anything. That's one thing I've learned. You put them in any situation and if they're in it for long enough it just kind of becomes okay another day mm -hmm. shit another shit sandwich another dead giant on the beach again <laughs> man our beaches are lousy with these fucking things where are they coming from <laughs> all right we gotta go to final thoughts tessa go first i love the first season i think the reason they made this season shorter i heard they did some research on last season to see where people started to drop off and i think that's why they chose to only have like eight episodes we might get another eight episodes like a half season marker or something i don't know i liked the diversity with the exception of the two killer robot episodes but they're animated so differently and kind of different settings that we'll let it go i gotta say my favorite snow in the desert like you were saying chris that world felt very lived in it had a lot of backstory the character designs were amazing the voice acting was great everything about it is like i wanted to know more about like why is this guy immortal and what was his story before how long has he been alive what happened to his wife this was another very strong season i feel like 9.5 out of 10 saliva covered christmas presents but they're exactly what you wanted just like this season was so like most of my christmas presents in the past <laughs> <laughs> thanks 
Elliot? This week, I watched the second season of genre fiction anthology series with some bad writing, questionable acting, but enough about Creep Show. <laughs> uh, Love, Death, and Robots. I'd actually not seen the first season just because some people had said mixed things. I want to go back and watch it now. This was really good. Yeah, I mean, a bit uneven, but I enjoyed just about every episode. Snow in the Desert was definitely the best one. I didn't realize that so many of these were adaptations of already done short stories, but now I kind of want to go and seek those out. I'd highly recommend this to anybody who is interested in short genre pieces so with that i'll probably give this eight and a half out of ten severed arms harmony snow in the desert was probably the best one overall i really enjoyed the anthology i loved all the visuals it was really well done i actually benched like the first and second season together so i kind of saw how many episodes is that that's like a math number i can't do right now there's a lot a lot of episodes i highly recommend it for anybody who likes sci-fi short stories i think this is gonna be a really good watch for you so i'm gonna give this nine out of ten dicks in a museum i almost took that for mine but i realized someone else would for sure so i was like you know what i'll just let that dick lace off (laughs) (laughs) i think the biggest smartest thing they did here was making it shorter it's like four or five hours the first season and like that's a lot to sit with the animated films where each one is like a totally different deal and a different style doing this which is just about i think it's like an hour and 40 minutes total or so is exactly right where i'm like at the end it made me hungry for more but okay and i can sit and think about each one by the end of the first season i couldn't even remember the first couple animated ones in it you know i was like wait what was it and i watched it all in one sitting i think this was great i think all of these are really good even the weakest one the tall grass is still pretty damn strong and highly recommended i mean this is one of the best animation collections i've seen i almost hope that the series decides to come back and revisit some of the better stories at some point and go okay well here's more my favorite is actually unsurprising to anyone who knows me all through the house because like i said simple (laughs) straightforward comedy horror adds something new to the christmas horror genre and super short so it makes it easy to shove into like programming for my future christmas horror things i'm gonna give this nine out of ten completely blood-soaked stuffed dinosaurs Oh, it's a sad day. I'm sorry, but that kid had it coming. <laughs> I'm going to be Hitler. You just know it. Chris Cox, hater of children, lover of robot anthologies. It's going to be your new tagline now. 